If you make a judgment that someone is being judgmental, are you being judgmental? Or, uh, or, or what about this? If you call someone out for their hypocrisy because they say they live by certain values and they're not living that way, but one of your values is not labeling or judging people, are you a hypocrite for calling out their hypocrisy? If you're thinking about these questions and are like, yeah, how, how do we work through that? Then keep listening. If these questions are just spinning your head in a circle and you went out of the circle, keep listening. If, um, if you're sitting there and you're like, I don't get these questions, I don't know how they relate to the Bible, I'd really want to know where you're going with this, keep listening. The, the moral of the story is keep listening. Let's pray. God of us all, open our hearts and our minds and our souls today to your words. God, just speak to us and, and where you need to move us. And where it's necessary, remind us of who you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christina was 12 or 13 years old at the time, that, that, that tween time in life, 6th, 7th grade, somewhere right in there. And she was going on a mission trip that summer, and so for the uh, auction, the auction that was happening to raise money for the summer mission trip, she uh, said that she would visit a shut-in in the community. It was actually, she was this just bright, uh, um, talkative. I mean, she's an extrovert of extroverts, young woman, and uh, it was actually one of the most popular items in the auction, and, and uh, a family invited her to go and visit their shut-in a couple times, and she agreed to do that, and she went twice, and she was such a light in the life of this family member that the family said, could you keep visiting? Like, we'll give more money to missions, we'll do anything. She's like, no, I'm happy, I'd love it. So she just did it. She kept visiting for the rest of the the rest of that school year. That summer, she went on a mission trip. And on the mission trip, it was one of those where once you got there, you went out with kids from other youth groups, so not from your own youth group. You were in a, in a group with other kids and, and other adults. And about halfway through that mission trip, Christina had a devotion with her group where all of the kids in her group told her that because of her theological understanding, she would burn in hell. In tears, she turned to the adult in that gathering, and the adult said um, that they were right, that her views were wrong, and they would cause you to spend eternity in hell. She came home. She participated occasionally. It didn't matter what her current faith community did she just came to know this God of judgment that she didn't want anything to do with, and she left the church. Joe was a college graduate, was attending seminary, and had the opportunity to study 
over in the Holy Land for a couple of weeks, Hebrew University, and then spent some time in a, in a peace uh, in a peace effort, an organization that worked toward peace in the, in the Middle East. While he was there, he had a, a wonderful experience of learning. At the same time, he was really challenged by what he saw happening. He saw, he saw Jewish leaders in the community using the Bible to run Palestinians off of their land who had lived there for centuries in the name of settlements and what they claimed the Bible said. And he watched Christians who supported those efforts and used the, used the Bible to, to justify what they were doing. He came back into his seminary experience and he, and he studied the history of the church and he, he, looked at the, he looked at the imperial nature of the church and, and how the church had subjugated people and how the church had been identified with empires and he didn't he didn't want to have anything to do with that. He left the church, declared that he was an atheist. Anne was involved in her high school youth group, went on mission trips and did service projects, was at church all the time. She was a leader in the youth group. In fact, she was invited as a leader in the youth group to be the youth leader on a on a leadership team for the church so that they had a youth voice as part of this as part of this larger leadership team one day she was a part of that team that conversation when somebody brought up to the team that the lead singer of the band was living with somebody outside of marriage and the decision was made at that meeting without hearing anything from the young woman to to let her go, to, to fire her. Three months later, Anne would later share, she was with that team again, struggling with what that meant and, and what she thought. And the leader of this leadership team came in and said they had another difficult issue to discuss. The lead pastor of that church had, had received a DUI. The leader of the team said that he had met with the lead pastor. They'd had a, a conversation about it. Uh, it sure, it wasn't going to happen again, and that was that. Leadership team did nothing else. By the time Anne got to college, she stayed invested in the church because her friends were all there. The time she got to college, she didn't want to have anything to do with church. She, uh, she took a Christian vocations class because she knew she believed in Jesus. She just couldn't figure out how her, how her understanding, how the hurt, how that experience, the hypocrisy of the church, how she could be part of that. Hypocrisy, judgment. When I hear young people use those words about, about the church that I'm a part of, like I think, those are words I'd rather not be called. Those are words that I'd rather not hear used as people think about the church. But our sermon series this month is listening to the skeptic. It's having these, these tough conversations and, and really not, not listening to judge, just listening and, and using it to reflect on, on who are we 
as the church in the world, and who are we as followers of, of Jesus? And some of the things we've been hearing, right, are, are hard, but I hope today, as, as we have throughout this series, that some of these things that are hard to hear, an invitation to dig into Scripture and say, okay, so, so we don't think this is who we are. This isn't who we want to be, so who, who does God call us to be? This is what people see. How do we, how do we help people to see something else by living, by living that out? And these, these stories are, are experiences, all experiences I have had working with young people in the church. But, but it's not just my experience. In 2013, Barna does large church research projects. Barna did a, a cross-country survey of adults who don't attend church. And in the study, they asked them to, to rank negative perceptions they had of the church. 87% listed judgmental. 85% said hypocritical. In 2017, there was a follow-up study. It looked at people outside of the church and people inside of the church to provide kind of a, a difference. And, uh, and in that study, half of young adults attending church said they perceive Christianity to be too judgmental, hypocritical, and too political. Now, note something. This, and I, I missed this when I read it the first time. I went back and I'm like, wait, is that what that said? This is not people who've left the church. This is half of young adults, 23 to 30, who are in the church, who are saying that we together are too judgmental, hypocritical, and political. In 2019, LifeWay commissioned another study. LifeWay is another organization that, that uh, studies the church today. This was of young adults who had left the church, again, 23 to 30. And that study found that 70% had dropped out for political or ethical reasons, and that a third of those who didn't come back say it was because the church was too, you probably know the words by now, right? Hypocritical and, and judgmental. Right, these words are hard to hear, but, but I, don't know about, I don't know about you. I know for me that there's this piece of me that says, wait, that's not who we are. And so the question becomes, okay, if that's not who we are, then, then who are we? And a question that goes alongside that is, if that's what people are seeing and hearing, maybe we should take a look at ourselves. Because the truth is that this sense of God's people being hypocrites goes back a long way. In fact, we're going to start today in Matthew 23 and see that hypocrisy in the people of God goes all the way back to the church in the time of Jesus, and probably before that. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's, let's turn and take a look at Matthew 23 today. And in Matthew's gospel, several of the gospels, but particularly in Matthew's gospel, we see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they've been, they've been challenging Jesus. And they're all of these encounters, they've heard people say that Jesus is the Messiah, and whether they don't believe it or whether they just want to prove it true, we find again and again that they keep challenging this idea that Jesus is is the Messiah. They challenge his teachings. They challenge his, his knowledge. They challenge his background. And Jesus, in, in turn, right, we, we find him again and again in these conversations, trying to help the Pharisees see how he interprets the law and, and what message from God that he brings. Later in Matthew's gospel, there are a couple of interactions again between the Pharisees and Jesus. And then in Matthew 23, Jesus 
essentially steps out in front of the crowd and the disciples and sort of tackles this issue, this conflict head on. And this is, this is what he says. We're not going to look at the whole passage, but let's start at Matthew 23, 1 to 4. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teacher of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. We should note the Pharisees are people of God, people like us. They're people who, who want to live by the moral code that they've been given by Moses. They're seeking to live that out. When Jesus finally speaks about them, note that the first thing he does is he affirms their position. Right? He says they sit on Moses' seat. There, there has to be someone to sit on Moses' seat to interpret the, the law and, and to help you understand and to, to live out these moral codes in your lives, to be the people of God. And even before this, Jesus has said, right, I'm not here to get rid of the law. I'm here to fulfill it. I'm not here to, to say the moral codes don't matter anymore. I'm here to, to show you what they mean in their fullest expression, to fulfill what God wants for God's people. But Jesus says, you see, that's not what what these Pharisees and these teachers of the law are doing. They're making this moral code so heavy and so burdensome that, that it's not pointing people to God anymore. And he says, the, the purpose of this law is not to make some people greater than others. It's not to create insiders and outsiders. This is, this is what you can see going on in the people of God right now. In fact, Jesus says that the moral codes that, that were given to Moses, they, they should be doing the opposite of that. They should be creating this kind of community that God wants where people are loved and included and invited to live into this, into this way. Because they point not to power and position. These moral codes point to servanthood. In fact, he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then Jesus kind of, he, he gets right to the heart of the matter. He's, he lists these seven woes. I like to think of them, it's, it's like seven shame on you statements. By the way, sometimes like I like to unpack the Greek, and, 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 and this word, shame on you, is just Pastor Brian's way of sort of understanding what Jesus seems to be doing. He's, he's like saying to, to those who are following and to the Pharisees among them, shame on the Pharisees and the teachers of law for, for what they're doing to the people of God right now, what they're doing to, to my gathered body. And here's what he says. We're not going to look at all of them. You should read through all seven because it, it sort of lays out all of the struggles for the people of God and, and what it looked like. We're going to look at two of them. First, Matthew 23, 13, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Ouch, right? And then, in the middle of these woes, he says this, verse 23, 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Essentially, Jesus says, like, the problem isn't the moral code or that you're trying to follow the moral code. The problem is that the teachers, the Pharisees, they've made the law so burdensome, they've made the moral code so burdensome that it's standing as a roadblock to people experiencing justice and grace and faithfulness and mercy. The leaders and the scribes, they've, they've made following the rules the greater goal, not the justice and mercy that God wants for God's people. As I said, right, the purpose of the, of the moral codes was to point people to God. Because of the ways they're being interpreted and used, it's not pointing people to God. It's pointing people to right practice. It's pointing to people, to, to power, positions of power in the, in the people of God at the time. Right? We come to understand that they were sharing the, the moral code in, in ways that were hateful and off-putting and, and shaming, all that worked directly against the initial purpose. So Jesus says, Jesus says to them, I came to fulfill the, the law, to show the way of a, of a loving God and Jesus. I didn't come to I didn't come to get rid of the moral codes. The moral codes matter. How you live matters. But I've come to to help point those through me to what matters the very most, which is relationship with God. God's way is to, to let those those moral foundations of our community create a more loving community so that others feel this sense of invitation and want to be part of that kind of community in the world. I think it's really easy in our world today. Like, we, we love, we, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people love stories where there's a really clear good guy and a really clear bad guy, right? And so, so when, you, when you see stories in the movies, it's like, I, I, like, I like to just know my good guy is good and my bad guy is, is the bad guy. And so I think we sometimes bring that lens and we read and we look at the, the scribes and the Pharisees and we're like, oh, yeah, they're the bad guy. Uh, we, we don't want to be the bad guy. But I wonder, I just wonder, like Jesus doesn't just have this conversation with the Pharisees. Often when he's challenging them, he has the, the conversation directly with them. In this case, he raises this issue in front of the crowd. He raises this issue in front of his disciples. And I, I think it just should have us ask the question, does Jesus have a a greater purpose in sharing this message with everybody, maybe inviting all of us to stop looking at the other guy and labeling them hypocrite or judgmental person or Pharisee, and to just for a moment look at ourselves. To use these teachings of Jesus to reflect on, on how we live in the world and in community. You see, the truth is, we, we make judgments every day. 
We make judgments all the time, and, and there's a, a piece of us that wants to belong, and so some of our judgments is, is helping us figure out where and, and how we belong in the world. We, we make judgments based on, on the values we live by, the, the moral codes we live by. Is this thing that I'm about to do, this act, is it good or, or is it bad? Is it Christ-centered or is it, is it not? Is this person somebody to trust and follow or is this, this person somebody that is going to lead me into trouble or, or cause issues? How does, this, how does this fit with my faith, my belief system, this, this thing I'm about to do, this thing I'm about to say, how does it fit with the values that I hold most dear? And then, when we want what is best for our others, for our, for our kids, for our co-workers, for our family, for our community, right? we want to introduce them to these, these values, these moral codes that we live by, because we know that they, they bring us more joy and more love and more goodness, and so we want to, we want to introduce those to, to others. So the question becomes, what's the difference between being a Pharisee I shouldn't say a Pharisee, but like the Pharisees in these stories, and being a faithful follower of Jesus. Or maybe to think of this another way, what's the difference between being hypocritical and judgmental versus being somebody who lovingly corrects others, who doesn't back down from, from our moral codes or our values, but but presents them in a way that is loving and, and inclusive. It keeps the focus on, on the love of God. I think we can turn to Paul's letter to the Philippians and find for Paul the answer to this. And that answer is humility. We're going to look at Philippians 2 in a moment. In Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, he, he spends this time in chapter 1 and he thanks them for their faithfulness. But then he doesn't encourage them to feel exalted from their, from their goodness. Right? He, he compliments on them, he encourages them about it, but then he doesn't say, okay, now feel good about yourselves. No, instead he says, he says there's some differences within your community and, and let me provide some encouragement about how you live through those differences and he encourages them to keep Christ as the most important thing, to be humble, to put the needs of others first, to serve as Jesus served. Some of you may know these words, but I'm just, I just want to read them to you today. You're going to see Philippians 2 verse 3 on screen, but I want you to hear this, this whole passage at the beginning of chapter 2. This is what Paul says to this, this small, faithful church in Philippi. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, Paul doesn't say this, but as he talks about the humility of Jesus, it, it might raise an important question for you, for us. This is the kind of question, actually, that um, we would raise in seminary, and then we'd spend like a couple of weeks just having these great conversations about it. So, I, there's a piece of me that's like, I'm just going to drop this in into a sermon. If, as throughout this, if there are things as you think about this question, um, let's keep this conversation going. The question is this, as we think about Jesus' humility, his death on a cross, if Jesus was God in human form, right, we believe that, that, G, that God sent his son Jesus and, and that Jesus was divine, and if Jesus had God's power, right, we believe in, in these miracles that, that Jesus did and in healings, if Jesus had this, this divine power, and he, he had a movement started and he had these crowds around him, in fact, as his disciples begin to ask this question, if all of that was already there and, and his, his mission was to impart God's kingdom on earth, then why didn't he just subdue nation by nation with the power that he had and instill God's moral code into the nations and into the peoples of earth. That's a, that's a big question. It's a question to wrestle with. as we think about humility, one way to think about this is God created humanity with free will, right? We have the opportunity to, to make decisions. God created us for relationship, and, and relationship, true relationship, isn't possible unless there's freedom in that relationship. We have to have the ability to choose good or bad, and we have to have the ability to choose to be in relationship or, or not choose to be in relationship with God. If we don't have that ability, then, then human free will doesn't exist, and we're just all puppets in God's puppeteering kingdom, right? So, instead of subduing the earth by force, military force, political force, divine force, right, that would have just subdued human free will again and made us slaves to a moral code. Instead, and, and this, for me, is it's what set Christianity apart. Instead, right, Jesus became human, became one of us to show us, to show us the way of God. To show us the way to, 
to spread God's kingdom isn't by military force or political power. It isn't forcing, forcing this on people against their will. Instead, it is showing people the extent of that love and inviting them into it to share with the world. Jesus came to show us another way, a way so different from the world then and even now to share the love of Jesus. Not by force or power, but by sacrifice and humility. Paul, as he teaches the way of Jesus to the early church, he says, this is the way we've been shown. And it's not always easy, and some of you are, are suffering for it. But this is the, the way of God, being like Jesus, humble even to the point of death, so that others will know the extent of God's love for them. When we make ourselves rule givers and the lawmakers, we set ourselves up to be hypocritical and, and judgmental. Because the truth is, we're all less than perfect. We all sin. We, we all fall short of, of what God wants for us. Right? If, if I sit in, in judgment of Joe's sin, by the way, Joe's not sitting over there. Joe is a fictitious person. If I sit in judgment of, of Joe's sin, it's only a matter of time before somebody realizes that I, too, am a sinner. But if I form a relationship with Joe, if I let Joe know that I love him right now as he is, then over time, I have an opportunity to speak Christ's way into Joe's life. I have an opportunity to, to speak of the, of the sins that, that I see in, in his life and in my life and, and, and invite him into a, into a way of living into, into the way of Jesus together. And he's invited to, to help hold me accountable in that. If I sit and judge Joe for what he's doing or what he has done, if I cast Joe out, if I make Joe feel less than, then I both give up the opportunity to speak into Joe's life and I make it really easy for Joe to equate me as a Christian with God and say, well, God's just a God of judgment, not a God of, of love. But if I enter into that relationship with Joe, if I offer grace to Joe to start with, if I love him as he is, then I have an opportunity to encourage Joe to live a more holy life, even as I invite Joe to encourage me to live a more holy life. Humility is at the heart of this. It's recognizing my own sin, my own humanity as I enter into relationship. It's recognizing my own need for God. Humility is it is staying in relationship with those who see differently because sharing the love of Jesus is more important than being right. That doesn't mean giving up 
my moral code in those relationships. It means hanging with somebody even when we don't see the world the same way because the most important thing, the most important thing is that they know that they are loved by Jesus. Humility is not casting stones as much as we might be tempted to, but offering the grace of Jesus because we've known that grace in our own lives. Humility is recognizing that that God is the lawgiver and the judge, not me, not, not us. And in Christ, we're forgiven and given this amazing invitation then to be humble as Christ was humble in serving the world to show them that grace and that love. All month we're asking this question, what is it What does all this mean as we dig into the Bible, as as we listen? What does it mean? What does it look like for us as the church today? Who are we? It's this question we're asking. Who are we? And today in Matthew and Philippians, we find this, right? As followers of Jesus, as the church, we, we are vulnerable, humble, honest, and seek to live with integrity. We invite others to know the love of Jesus as we have come to experience it in our own imperfection. Right? We, we're vulnerable enough to say to each other, I, I'm not perfect either, and I need God. And I want to be in a relationship where we can explore that together. Now, yesterday, as we think about being vulnerable and humble, I just want to lay it out there. Yet, not yesterday, I keep saying that. Friday, um, somebody cut me off in traffic. I was at 23, right around Grape Road. And uh, somebody came across my lane to make a right turn, like left lane. Anybody ever that happened to them um, right there? Like they came across two lanes in front of me. I had to hit my brakes. And, uh, and I was not very happy at the moment. And, uh, and I said some things to nobody in particular because nobody was in the car. But at first, I was like, oh, those Michigan drivers, no offense to those of you who are from Michigan. And then I immediately followed that. It was a BMW, and, and I might have said, or at least thought, I probably said it out loud. I was like, and sure, you rich drivers, you own the roads. Go ahead. Just go where you want to. I'm not proud of this, by the way. Then I drove on down 23. I was actually headed home, and I went over the railroad tracks. And I don't, you may know right there by the Dairy Queen on 23, it goes from two lanes to one lane. And I will often jump in the right lane because, um, because people will make a left-hand turn right there. And so if they're making a left-hand turn, you're already in the right lane, and then you move over, and you keep going. But for whatever reason, the people in the left-hand turn lane weren't, weren't making a left. And so I had to get over, and so I just sort of, you know, nudged myself over. And I have no doubt that the woman behind me had to hit her brakes, um, mainly because she, she pressed her horn. Um. <laughs> and I, I put up my hand and waved, like, I'm sorry, I just needed to get over, and, uh, you know, I, I, I thought you were turning. Um, and, and realized in that moment, right, judgmental hypocrite am I, (laughs) right? Why is it that I wasn't willing to offer the grace that I expected to receive not five minutes later? Perhaps that example is a little trivial, 
But as I was thinking about what I was saying today, thinking about how to pull the message together, what do we do with this, one of the things that came to mind was like the path, the path to God's kingdom, the path to a, a world with, with greater love and, and more grace begins with each of us examining our own lives, our own judgments, our own path to humility in life. So this is our Faith Fit Challenge this week. We have a Faith Fit Challenge every week at Clay Church, an opportunity just to not just hear the word, but to think about how, how are we living it, to let it speak into our lives. This week, I want to invite you to just reflect on how you make judgments of people during the day, each day. And, uh, and I, I want to invite you just to, to put a journal by your bedside, or maybe you do it on your iPad or, or a phone, and just um, maybe each night before you go to bed, or maybe something you carry with you through your day, when you find yourself making a judgment about people in your life, or people that you encounter, just, just jot it down and, and pay attention to the judgments that you make, the judgments that we make. And then as you, as you read back through those notes, think about what humility looks like in your own life. What does the way of Jesus look like in your own life? Use it as an opportunity to, to think about what, is, what does the humility of Christ look like in my life? One of the greatest gifts of our humility, I think, is the depth of relationships that can form when we say, you know, you may be right and I may be right, but we're going to start this relationship, we're going to found this relationship in the love of Jesus Christ. And we're going to hold on to that love no matter what. There's such a, a freedom because then we don't have to pretend to be somebody else in those relationships. We can just be real and we can admit where we need help and we can admit where we need to grow and we can speak into each other's lives when we know that we are anchored in the trust of knowing that we're loved no matter what. When you walked into Clay Church today, if you're here, or for those that are online, when you, when you walk into this space, and you can think about this even if you're not walking in, but think of it virtually. When you come into this space, you walk underneath the cross. For those of you who have been coming a long time, you may not even remember it or realize it anymore. There's a cross on the front of the building, and it fades into the architecture a bit. But when you walk into this building, you walk right under the cross. And and this is my prayer. My prayer is that at Clay Church, right, our, the first part of our vision is to embrace every person in the love of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that when, when you walk under that cross and come into this holy space, or when you think about it and you come into this gathering of people, that you will just know the unconditional love of Jesus Christ in your life, that you will feel that embrace. It all starts there. And then, and then my prayer is that once we've walked through and we have experienced that grace that loves us just as we are right now, we don't have to do anything to earn that love. God loves you right now, no matter what. You can sense that love as soon as you walk into this space. But then, this is my prayer, that we will then turn around 
Once we've walked under that cross and felt that love, we will turn around and offer that kind of grace and that kind of love to everybody else who walks through that door and everybody else who walks into our life so that they too will know that kind of, that kind of love and grace that transforms lives. And yeah, we're going to walk under that cross and we're going to come in here and, and we're not all going to see the world out there the same way. And, uh, and we're going to live lives that are sometimes holy and are sometimes a mess. And sometimes we're going to feel like we are right on where God is calling us to be. And sometimes we are going to, we're going to find ourselves coming here after a week of sinfulness that we're sorry about. And we may not always agree and we may make mistakes even in how we love one another. We can't promise that we won't mess up sometimes. But here is what I hope we can promise together. That we are a people of God's love. Let me invite you just to put out your hands in front of you right now. And having walked beneath that cross, I want you to just, just right now know that wherever you come from, whatever's gone on in your life in the last day or the last week or the, or the last month, whatever shame you may carry, whatever hurt, whatever pain, like Jesus, Jesus meets you here and just says, I love you. I love you as you are. I love that you're in this, this gathering of worship today. I love that, that something brought you here. I, I love that, that, that there's a chance at a relationship where, where I can show you the goodness and the, and the way that I have to offer. And now I want you to just lift your hands up a little bit and put them out. And invite you just to hear Jesus say, you know, this way, this, this love, I need your help. I need you to, I need to share it with other people. I need other people right now more than anything else to know they're loved. Once they know they're loved, then you can show them this way that you're coming to know too. You can walk it together. God, today, may we promise, we promise this. May we say this to the world out there. As a church, as your people, we'll love you no matter what. Just like Jesus. Amen? Amen.